But I have a question. I'm not looking for verbal response, but I want you to think about it. Does this man, does this husband love, lead, nurture, and cherish his wife? He works long hours by choice. He gets home late. He watches sports hours a week, but his wife does not enjoy or desire sports. He communicates much of the time by texting with her. The conversations are generally about work, weather, kids, and the nation. He rarely asks her about her thinking, her feelings, her struggles, nor does he listen intently very often. He rarely, if ever, leads her out loud in prayer and Bible reading and discussion of spiritual things. He spends much time watching TV, movies, and is on the computer a lot. Is he committed to his wife? Biblically, how does a man show love to his wife? And again, a thought question, and the reason I used a husband is because Christ is the head of the church, and he loves the church, so the church is to respond and be submissive and obedient to him as the head. And as you think about where you are in relating to Christ, think about that husband. I'll bring him up again later on. In way of review, Christ as the head and his body are a unit. You can't separate Christ as the head from the church, his body. And if you remember, I used the illustration of a doll pulling the doll's head off and saying we're going to separate them. You can't do that. Christ is the head of the body, united to the body. You can't have one without the other. The body, local churches are dependent upon Christ, who is the head. The body of Christ depended upon Christ as head. We as believers show dependency upon Christ by de being dependent upon his body. This dependency is demonstrated through passionate commitment to body life, corporate worship, and following local church leaders. We also discuss the fact that to neglect the body of Christ is to neglect Christ. You can't neglect his body without neglecting Christ. There are Intimately related to one another. Commitment to Christ and to his body is foundational, foundational to effective marriages, family life, to the employer-employee relationship, relating to government, godly relationships with believers and non-believers and to resisting the enemy. You will find that the epistles, the way you relate to the Christ and to the body of Christ comes before relating to your mate, your children, job, government, and so on. That is foundational. Some assumptions that I would share under is that we know and we accept the fact that we're sheep. We need a shepherd. We need other people. We need teaching. We need guidance. We need correction. We need encouragement and so on. Just part of life. I'm a sheep. You're a sheep. 
And I was just recently, in fact, last night, reading a book on sheep and shepherding. And the author was describing a sheep that if they lay down and they're on a slight incline and they roll over on their back, the sheep cannot get on their feet. And if a sheep remains on their back some over an hour, they end up dying. No, sheep are very dependent. No, we lay on our back and we can roll over, you know, and we can get up. Sheep can't do that. You know, we're sheep. We need shepherds. We need guidance. Another assumption is that we accept the fact that we cannot relate to a large number of people deeply. Believers cannot apply the one another's with 50 other people. No, you can't relate with all the one another's, pray for one another, encourage one another, spur one another on to large groups. We worship together, but there's probably some people you relate to much more deeply than others. That's understandable. And also, obedience is the way God's plan for healthy spiritual living and just walking in day by day. Our obedience is a response to his grace. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Again, we're not going to look at any passage in tremendous detail because we've looked at some of these in the past. But being involved and being committed to a local church just involves faithfulness in applying the one another's of Scripture. You know, springing from it is our, we need one another, applying them one another, and that's not necessarily always in a church service. That can be during the week in a variety of ways. In Ephesians 4, after three chapters of being taught in Christ, he says in Ephesians 4 and verse 1, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. The calling is mentioned in Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. Here's how to live it out, he says. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Talking about one another's there, being humble, being gentle, being patient, bearing with one another. Skip down to verse 29 of chapter 4. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Think about that. As I relate to Ruth Ann at home, my words are to be building her up. As I relate to believers, my words are to be building you up. As we share and interact after our time of worship this morning, our words are to build one another up. He goes on in verse 30, and do not grieve the Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Again, he's dealing with one another. Get rid of bitterness. Then rage and anger. It seems like the rage and anger springs from the bitterness. Brawling and slander. In their place, be kind. 
compassionate, forgiving. He says in verse 1 of chapter 5, Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. You think about the body of Christ. That involves faithfulness in body life. Again, that may be in a formal setting. You know, we may come to church, but much of that will be informally. Throughout the week, you give someone a call, you text someone, you know, you Facebook someone, you get together with them, you go out to eat. Just the whole issue of body life. And Scripture mentions that quite often. We look at Ephesians chapter 4. It's found in Romans chapter 14, Philippians 2, along with Colossians chapter 3. Just the whole issue of caring for one another. It's part of being committed to the local body. A few comments. That means we need to be open to accountability, to rebuke, to correction, to love. I may have shared this in the past, but years ago I had been here at the church probably for maybe nine months or so, and Ruth Ann and I were going to go to a convention, and uh, we were scraping the bottom of the barrel financially. We thought, well, we will make it, we'll go. On the way out of church, someone said to me, Pastor, here's some money to help you in your trip. And I said, I'm sorry, I cannot accept it. Because if we thought we were scraping the bottom of the barrel, they were on the underside of the bottom, you know, trying to scrape that. And that individual said something to me that impacted me and radically changed my life. He said, Pastor, are you going to deny me the joy of giving to you? I swallowed my pride. I accepted his rebuke, and I said, thank you. See, I had to be open to that. We need to be open to love from others. Well, I can handle this. How are you fine? When you're really struggling, you want someone to carry a burden. And we need to be open to love from others, open to rebuke from others. Remember a couple times in recent years, Someone humbly and gently rebuking me. I had to be open to it. That's the body. That's part of being committed to a local body of believers. It also involves refusing to attempt to, re, uh, being willing to attempt to resolve relational struggles. It seems like in this life we have relational struggles. We can't escape them. Those of you who have been married quite a few years, I think it's safe to say that you had some relational struggles along the way. I think Dick's already acknowledging that by his grin on his face. And Betty pokes him. <laughs> you know, in marriage, there's relational struggles. Within the parent-child relationship, there's relational struggles. With other believers, there's relational struggles. Being willing to resolve them, not walk away from them, but resolve them, that's part of being committed to local body of believers. Avoiding people or withdrawing or having a critical attitude, etc., or sin because we're to be loving, we're to be forgiving, we're to be gracious. Someone told me this one time. 
I saw so-and-so coming this way, so I went this way. <laughs> I'm talking about believers. Well, why'd you do that? Well, I wanted to avoid them because, and we won't go into the reason. No, God designed us to not do that. And the one another's involve a lifestyle, not just a pattern of life. We need one another. And it basically also involves a commitment to a body. We're just committed. Another item involved in, we think about the local body of believers is faithfulness, faithfulness and accepting, pursuing and submitting to shepherding, the leadership provided by the pastor and elders. And scriptures mention this a number of times, Acts 20, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, but let's turn to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13, and again, looking at a few verses very briefly. <coughs> again, as sheep, shepherds are needed. Leadership is needed. Following a shepherd is needed. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 7, some concluding exhortations in light of Christ being better than Moses, Aaron, and the prophets, and so on. Verse 7, he says, Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. So here it is, imitate the faith of your leaders. In verse 17, obey your leaders, and he's talking about spiritual leaders, and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden. For that would be of no advantage to you. As sheep, willing to follow leaders. A couple comments. Be willing to be taught. Be willing to be fed. As a teenager, I occasionally was well-behaved. There other times I was not quite as well-behaved. And I say this to my own discredit. I can remember going to church and sitting in the back row of the church with a couple of my friends. And poor Norman Moyer would stand up front and try to teach us. And we would end up And sometimes, you know, you would get a look from him. What were we saying to him? We're not willing to be taught by you. And I can remember sometimes in responding to those that would teach in the context of <clears throat> teaching teens, they're just really not being open to hearing. Part of being a sheep is a willingness to be taught, to be fed. Also, a willingness to accept rebuke, to accept correction. And that may be one-to-one, -one, or it may be in a large group setting. This goes back to last fall. Ruth and I were on vacation. 
We went to a church in Bloomingland just about a half a mile down the road from where the policeman was shot, or two of them were shot. And we walked in, and I can't remember if the title was listed, but he spoke on trials and suffering. And Ruth Ann leaned over and whispered to me something to the effect of, oh, no. And I thought, I don't need this. I sat, I listened, I said, okay, Lord, I've got to adjust my attitude, and I adjusted my attitude quite quickly and listened to what he had to say. And in the process, I was corrected about a couple things in my thinking. <laughs> so there was a shepherd. I realized he's not my normal shepherd, but that's where we ended up that Sunday vacation. I received what he had to say and responded to it. That's part of being willing to listen to hear and to respond. You know, to accept that. And also, at times, we just need counsel. Someone in leadership, I need your counsel. I need your guidance. Help me as I seek to make decisions and so on, go through this difficulty. And also, tied in with what I mentioned earlier, admitting our need for teaching and encouragement. We need it. Scripture makes that very, very clear. And keep in mind, we today have so much that was not had years ago. Most of you have in your hands a Bible. Probably many of you have a Bible program that has all kinds of, you know, Bible can be in your phone, all kinds of study tools. When the text of Scripture were written, they would not have had any of that. They needed to be taught. But I think Christ, God, knew that when he talks about the shepherd and the sheep, whether we live in a tech age or we don't live in a tech age, we still need taught. We need someone to guide us and direct us. That's just part of the nature of being sheep. Healthy sheep desire to eat. reading that book last night on sheep. And the fellow who was a shepherd, by the way, said, when sheep lie down and just take a nibble of grass every now and then, we know that they're sick. There's something wrong. They're not standing on their feet to be fed. And I didn't grow up in a sheep farm, but we had enough beef cattle. We knew when we put the, by the way, this is done by hand, put the feed in the trough, the cattle would come running but occasionally there's one that would just say, Lane, stay Lane, and we would say, Dad, you got a sick one. What are you going to do with it? No. Healthy sheep desire to eat. So it relates to the body of Christ. As we're physically able and age and enables it, faithfulness in gathering with and meeting with believers for corporate worship. We're in Hebrews 13, go back to Hebrews 10, a passage we spent some time in earlier. <clears throat> Hebrews 10, in verse 24, after he says we have freedom in coming to Christ, he says in verse 24 of Hebrews 10, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward loving good deeds. Let us not give up meetiness together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another 
and all the more as you see the day approaching. It's assumed in the epistles that we need worship with others. Hebrews chapter 10, you know, after 10 chapters or almost 10 chapters in Christ, he says, no, gather together, spur one another on, encourage one another and be faithful. A couple comments. A desire to gather with others, I think, indicates health. Maybe we are not always eager to gather with others, but overall, we should be moving in that direction. To gather the least amount to get by in context of corporate worship, I think, indicates heart problems. So again, gathering with other believers is important. Part of being committed to local churches using one's gifts, one's abilities. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Eleven chapters of what some people call doctrine. Chapters 9, 10, and 11 dealt a lot with God's sovereignty. And he says in verse 1 of chapter 12, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good pleasing and perfect will. Verse 1, in offering your bodies as a sacrifice, seems to be a one-time thing where we say, God, I'm on your order. I'm surrendering my life to you. I'm setting the direction of my life. Verse 2 seems to be day by day, renewing the mind, keeping our life on target. Then he says in verse 3, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather clothe yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. One body, different functions within that body, according to what? The grace given to us. You'll find in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the same idea is presented. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. Ephesians chapter 4, along with 1 Peter chapter 3. God has given us gifts. Use them. I want to emphasize something very, very strongly. The gifts and abilities that God has given to us can be used both scattered and gathered. Most Gifts and abilities will not be displayed when we're gathered together. Some will, 
Many will not. But when we're scattered, so someone goes to visit Bernadine out of Bonhams, just to encourage her using a gift or ability that you have. You listen to someone for a half an hour bemoaning the struggle they're going through. And then you say, let's pray with, or I'll pray with you, and here's some counsel that's using a gift or ability that is given. Some of you have money that you have chosen to give away at times to help people. That's not in a formal setting. That's in a very informal setting. But keep in mind, it is also among believers and unbelievers. Many of you will go to a job or to school setting where the rest of us will never be. And you may listen to a coworker or another student share the woes of life, and you exercise compassion by just listening. You invite a neighbor over to your house, and in this case we'll say unbelieving neighbors, and you open your home, you open your life, and you share with them using your gifts, your abilities. In day-by-day living, many times we talk about using gifts and abilities, we think of, well, what can I do within the body? What can I do within a formal setting? That's part of it, yes. But think about it of being a lifestyle. So I believe that Ruth Ann has a gift of compassion and encouragement. Unbelievers will come up to her sometimes and talk to her about their problems. And Ruth Ann will say, I don't understand. Why do they do this? I said, don't you know that you have compassion and encouragement written all over you? you know, God has gifted us. He wants us to use it in day-by-day living. So Aaron goes to a farm. And the farmer bemoans to Aaron about how bad things are. And Aaron gives him a few words of encouragement and goes on his way. That's part of being committed to a body. Please don't see it as within a formal structure only. See it as a pattern of life. You could list many, many items tied in with that. Final thing we'll mention, we think about commitment to a local body, is faithfulness in individual marriage and family worship. We won't turn to the passage, but in Ephesians chapter 5, it talks about the wife's role in following her husband. It talks about the husband's role in loving and leading his wife. It talks about, you know, the marriage relationship picture in Christ in the church. And then it goes into fathers teaching children. Individually, as a married couple, if you're married, as a family, there's children involved. What you do on those levels influences the body. 
individual lifestyle deeply influences a local church. So I come into contact with you or you come into contact with me or some other believer throughout the week. You can pretty well tell how they've been living and how they've been responding to God. Because it impacts their life and that impacts you. Couple lifestyle deeply influences the local church. The way Ruth Ann and I relate at home or praying together or reading scripture, discussing scripture has an impact upon us which influences the local church. So someone walks up to Ruth Ann and says, well, how are you doing, Ruth Ann? And I guess okay, just okay. Yeah, how's your husband doing? He's doing. Don't need to say any more. Now she said, someone asked her, how's your husband doing? And she said, well, he's doing pretty good. But I do want you to know that we have difficulties along the way. And we had a little squabble last night. But we resolved it and we sat down and we talked to God together about our squabble. He prayed, I prayed, and... We just really care for one another. So we're ready for the next squabble. (laughs) See, that influences the body. You say, how does it influence your body? Well, if there's children involved, our four children saw how we related for some 18 years. Now that is influencing them in the present and how they relate to their mates. And that's influencing the grandchildren. And the way Ruth Ann and I have related over the years has influenced you know, you tremendously. The same thing on a family level. Family lifestyle deeply influences the local church. Why is it it seems like most squabbles with kids seem to come on when you're trying to get them out the door for school or you're trying to get ready to go to Sunday school or church or something, you know. But think about how a family gets along. That influences the body of Christ at large. So someone comes up to Danny or Jason or Beth or Chris years ago when they were still living at home and said, well, how are things going? And you can tell by the response, things aren't going real good. And the friend says, well, what's wrong? Oh, that dad's just an old... And he says a couple other things. Your dad's like that? Oh, yeah, he was on my case this morning. He was yelling at me and screaming at me and told me how terrible I was. By the way, I didn't do that. Now, that influences that person. And that kid will probably go home and say, did you hear about... I think you get the point that families influence the body. Now, it's different if Danny said, boy, my dad disciplined me. He corrected me. He wasn't angry. He used the good words. Boy, I had a hard time with it. And I, 
I'm really mad at him. But it's not his issue, it's my issue. My dad cares for me. Now that's a different scenario. But it goes back to family and relationships. I think it's important individually, as couples, as families, to pray together, share scripture together, to meditate, to discuss body life. Because it influences the entire body. And unless I miss my guess, one of the primary areas the enemy has worked and continues to work is to keep a husband and wife from praying together, reading scripture together, discussing scripture together, and for a family to read scripture, to discuss scripture, to pray together as a family. Because that influences the body. And we come from different backgrounds, I fully understand that. And in my particular case, my dad, I don't know what he followed through, I think I know what happened after the kids all left home, made it a point of saying, as a family, we're going to worship together. And I can very distinctly remember catching Dad a few mornings when I get up early enough, sitting in his favorite chair, reading his Bible. And if you caught him about 10 or 15 minutes later, he'd reverse from sitting to kneeling at the chair and praying. And I know to his dying day, he was probably one of the most faithful praying warriors for his children, his in-laws, and his grandchildren and great-grandchildren. Part of the body. Now let me describe the man that I mentioned in the introduction in a little different light. He chooses not to work much overtime so he can be home more. He tells his wife why he's choosing not to work overtime. I just want to be with you. He spends little time watching sports so he can listen to and talk to his wife and do things that she desires. He rarely communicates by texting unless really necessary because he says to her, I want to see you face to face when I talk because I want to see your expressions. I want to see that joy. I want to see that frustration. I want to see that anger. You know, so you can see mine because it seems like God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit communicated or communicate face to face. He has conversations about work, the joys and struggles and how to pray. Conversations about the struggles with children, where they are in their thinking. Takes time with her to pray with her, to encourage her as it relates to the struggles. And he'll ask her, what struggles are you going through? And often say, you know, I prayed for you this morning. Before I go off to work, let me pray with you about your day. They talk about the nation sometimes and get frustrated. And they say, well, before we get any more frustrated, he says, let's pray together concerning our nation. Several times a week. He'll ask her to share her thinking, her feelings, her struggles, and he listens and asks questions when he doesn't understand. 
He doesn't attempt to fix her most of the time, just to listen, to pray, to respond to her. He spends a little time watching TV and movies and on the computer because his wife likes to go on walks and likes shopping and likes praying together, and he wants to do that with her. He's showing his love for his wife. As we, as believers, think about the body of Christ, God wants us to be committed to the body of Christ. In light of our discussion for a number of weeks, how has God spoken to you? How has God spoken to you this morning? Will you respond? If you need encouragement, if he encouraged encouraged you, respond to that. If he rebuked you, corrected you, respond to that. As we think about the body of Christ, we want to sing a song together as Travis comes to lead us.